Good afternoon, Kodo listeners. You are tuned into KOTO Telluride. It is Thursday at noon and time for our COVID update, the weekly one that always happens. I am joined by Lindsay Mills, public information consultant for San Miguel County. Unfortunately, today we don't have an interpreter because everybody's very busy. It is a busy time of year, so we apologize for that um, and send big thanks to everybody who interprets for us almost every week. Almost every week. Um, Lindsay, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We will just start off as we typically do. Do you have any updates of, and I know you do, (laughs) rather, what are the updates you have for our listeners when it comes to COVID in the county? Yes, always. So, of course, um, the Board of County Commissioners meetings have gone back to their regular scheduled every other week cadence, um, which is great for them, giving them a bit of a break and a nice respite from all of the COVID chat. Um, But, of course, Omicron continues to be spreading in our community. Um, Case rates are still at an all-time high. They have plateaued a bit, but we're seeing, you know, 130-some active cases right now, which still far exceeds our record rates from the last year, year and a half of analysis. So Omicron is active in the community, spreading very quickly and um, showing some potential signs of slowing, but not on the decline quite yet. Obviously, one of the things that public health announced yesterday was that um, the county is extending the mask mandate through the end of February with a couple check-ins along the way to see what's going on. Um, It was originally set to expire at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why that decision was made to to keep the mask mandate in place? Yes, absolutely. So that, you know, it's a big decision and it's a lot to think about. This mask requirement's been in place for a few months now. Um, and there, we're still seeing a huge amount of spread because of Omicron. That said, we, we're seeing that consistent and effective mask use, especially when using high-end masks like medical masks or N95 masks, is limiting spread in high transmissibility places. So, you know, schools, I think, are the, one of the biggest heavy-hitting points that we keep talking about. We want to keep the kids in school. We want to keep them and their teachers and their staff safe. Um, and you know, once one person is infected, it spreads very quickly and it takes people out of the classroom for an extended period of time with quarantine, recovery and so on. Um, so that that is one of the bigger focuses, of course, of extending this mask requirement at this time. You know, there is a I, I feel like an interesting kind of dynamic of not calling out any place but you know you go you're going out in Telluride in the evening times and you're walking past bars and restaurants and the like and obviously you can't be wearing a mask if you're putting food or drink into your mouth but you know there are places in our community where mask compliance is pretty low and it is maybe the places where it could spread the easiest Mm -hmm. just because people are talking and laughing and chatting you know so how how does public health balance that of you know, we, we still have these, we talk about like good mask use really helps spread, but like we're not seeing good mask use everywhere we're going in this community. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And, you know, we saw a few um, outbreaks occur over the holidays, of course, kind of based around events and things that were happening in the later hours of the evening. Um, and it's, it's a really clear connection between transmission and mask use in that way. So places where we're seeing low compliance or no compliance, that's where we're seeing transmission. But the places where we really, really need, you know, high and attentive mask use, schools, grocery stores, critical care centers, 
um, workplace as well. These are the places where people can't necessarily assess risk because they have to go to school. They have to go to the grocery store. These are essential services. And it's important that we respect everybody around us in those circumstances. Whereas, you know, later in the evening, if you choose to go out to dinner, that's a risk assessment, knowing that people around you have to take their mask off to eat their food, drink, have a merry time. Um, so I, I think that that's, that's the key piece that keeps coming up, of course, is that there's low compliance when you go out to dinner, but that's a risk that some people are willing to take at this point. Fully vaccinated, boosted individuals are very highly protected from severe disease from COVID. So that's, that's something that each individual is charged with focusing on at this point. Yeah. Something that Grace Franklin, our public health director, um, said at the BOCC meeting yesterday was that, you know, kind of shifting away from looking at positivity rate and incident rate as kind of driving forces of making these decisions when it comes to public health orders. And those have been some of the key metrics that we've been looking at from the very beginning of how many people are getting infected and how fast is it spreading. And so if those have been the key metrics that we're looking at up until this point, and now we're shifting that, we're not looking at those in the same way anymore, what is the county looking at when it's making these decisions? Yeah, and I, I think Director Franklin made a, a very good point, of course, yesterday in that it's a big picture. It's not simply a few metrics that we're looking at to make these decisions and analyze infection and disease burden in the county, but rather a 30,000 foot level where we're looking at the entire state of Colorado, what's happening throughout the state, how is hospital capacity, how is hospital staffing? Um, the, and these are things we've looked at throughout the entirety of the pandemic, but with that home testing picking up, which we're so grateful for this community doing so, and we're getting a high level of reporting, but at home testing isn't always reported. Um, more often than not, we're seeing that someone testing positive is then jumping online, figuring out what their quarantine period is, informing their close contacts and making sure that everybody's aware of what's going on. Um, and then the afterthought, of course, is to send an email to public health. Um, so we're, we're grateful that everybody's so informed, but this, the a limitation of incidents and positivity is that we don't know the entire picture of those two metrics anymore because people are testing at home and we're not capturing all of that data. Yeah. Um, kind of on that same line, again, I always make you look into your crystal ball and I apologize <laughs> for speculating. it. Um, but Grace did say that she wants to, obviously she's looking at all the data all the time, uh. <laughs> but really have um, conversations with the board of county commissioners and public health in, in a bigger picture um, at the next two meetings before the end of February. So what are those things that, that could be, um, indicators or potential metrics to say, okay, we are in a better place to eliminate the mask mandate, maybe before the February cutoff that we have, or, you know, extend it if need be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that one of the most interesting trends, of course, is looking at historical data and the spread of Omicron in other places. So if you're looking at South Africa and the UK, we're starting to see disease incidents drop significantly. Cases are decreasing at almost a ra a, a ra as rapid a rate as they increased. So the hope, of course, is that that will start occurring in the United States. We're on a 
four, six week lag from a lot of the other countries that were already infected. But seeing these trends in this significant decline in incidents brings a lot of hope to the fact that in the next two weeks, when the next BOCC meeting occurs, we could have a very, very low case rate at that point. So I do think that this is a, a quickly moving um, a quickly moving period of transmission that will increase quickly, resulting in a continuance of this current mandate, but then decrease potentially very quickly as well, which could lift restrictions pretty quickly as well. A lot of people commenting at the meeting yesterday um, were asking for the county to bifurcate. So there's, you know, different rules or regulations on the east end versus the west end of the county. Is that something that uh, public health or the Board of County Commissioners would consider or think about doing? Um, I can't speak on their behalf, but in our experience and in evaluating trends over the last two years, um, it's the two communities and the two ends of the county are deeply, deeply interconnected. What occurs in one end occurs in the other. Um, and, you know, you have this point of high transmission that is going to occur across the county. And I don't believe bifurcation is the answer when we see the trends that we've been seeing over the last two years. Yeah. This, not to be like too doom and gloom, but, um, you know, we see how quickly Omicron spread. Um, we also, unless there's updated information that you have that maybe I don't, that, you know, we, we still kind of have this idea of a three month um, more or less immunity period after someone gets it. Um, is there a concern, though, that in theory, we all hit three, we all, I will say I got COVID over the holidays. Everybody, you know, all of the humans who got it over the, over the holidays or whenever, um, we hit three months and then like everyone gets it again. Yeah. And this is the really interesting thing is we saw folks that were infected with Delta not have immunity from Omicron. And that, that was a troubling reality, of course, is that these folks just spent 10 days protecting others by staying home and isolating and then were infected just a month later to then have to spend 10 more days protecting everyone by isolating. So the it's too soon to tell, as with everything with Omicron, it's spread so quickly, We still there's still a lot we don't know. So as far as, you know, three months out, we're not even close to three months out in the rest of the world. So the, the speculation there, of course, is ill-informed on my end um, because there's so much we don't know. So it is very possible that it sticks around and people can be infected again. But the hope, of course, is that that three month period of immunity could eliminate Omicron from our our county. <laughs> that's the dream. Um, that's that's the hopeful side of the doom and gloom, of course. But yeah, lots that is <laughs> lots is unknown. I know we <laughs> shall see. Indeed. You know, talking about that. We've had people, public health on the national level, like Dr. Fauci was saying, these kinds of things of that, and, and everyone has been saying, right? We got we got to the point pretty quickly that COVID's not going away. Mm -hmm. It's going to be with us probably forever in a sort of way. Mm -hmm. When for for the county level, and not saying that we're necessarily here yet, but moving from kind of the pandemic to the endemic vibe of things, what does that look like in terms of? 
you know, do like, are there regulations that just maybe sit there or like come and go forever? Do we get to the point where it's like treated more like a flu and you just kind of get on with things for better <laughs> or worse? Like, how does that transition look? Yeah, and I think it goes from, you know, regulations to best practices, rather. Um, and I, I don't know how far out we are from this, we're just living with COVID situation, but um, I, it's similar. The goal, ultimately, is for this virus to become ingrained in our lives to a point that it's not severe. It's not hospitalizing people at such a rapid rate. It's not killing people, but rather it's another common cold. And Omicron is kind of that hopeful first step towards the mutation that we're looking for in that way. Viruses don't want to kill their hosts. They want to live forever and transmit between people and bounce around. And that is the goal ultimately of Omicron that we're seeing is having a less severe infection, um, less severe symptoms of infection, excuse me, um, and to stick around. So it's moving from a regulatory aspect that we've seen from the public health end for the last two years to a best practices portion of, of our pandemic. So moving on to, you know, if you want to wear a mask because you don't want to get sick, if you're an at-risk individual and it's flu season, wear a mask, wash your hands frequently, don't cough on each other, <laughs> um, you know, the, the usual thing. So it, I do think it moves just from a regulatory aspect more to how can we help you through flu season and through COVID season ultimately. Yeah. Thinking about kind of bouncing back to masks a little bit, you know, we are one of the few counties, not like few, few, but we're one of a handful maybe mm -hmm. um, in the state that have a mask mandate compared to, to others. Um, are, are, are we seeing that our numbers, like are, do they look a lot different? Like, does it seem like it's actually having an impact in the way that um, maybe numbers are spiking in other counties that don't have a mask mandate like way higher or things like that. Yeah, and you know, I, I think we're one of 10 counties and the majority of counties, and I think this is important to note, are small intimate communities that have mask requirements in place. And we're looking at the town as a whole where we have you know one or two grocery stores where at-risk people have to go to shop. We have a school that is small and interwoven and very interconnected um, and there's not a lot of options when it comes to where to go and what to do you kind of just have to go do it in these small towns um, as far as comparing our metrics goes to other towns and other communities I don't know that off the top of my head um, and I don't want to speculate on that by any means but other communities like ours mountain towns and smaller interrelated communities are seeing success in protecting our most at-risk folks and the people that can't be um, vaccinated at this point. Moving, um, we'll keep this, we'll keep this update short and sweet for today. <laughs> um, but, you know, you've kind of already touched on this, but, you know, we're, we're squarely in winter. Mm -hmm. I feel like we all we do this often of like, what's the next season look yeah. like? But like we're slow, we're squarely in winter at the at the minute, kind of heading more towards spring. We know we've had two COVID summers at this point. We kind of know what that looks like. So again, crystal ball. You know, where do you maybe envision, or where does public health envision San Miguel County going in the next couple months as as we kind of 
finish this season and, and head into off season. Yeah. And I, I, again, it's always speculation, but we do have two years of data under our belts at this point. So it's really, it's nice and interesting to look back and see where we had periods of high transmission, which is typically the fall and the holiday season in the winter. Um, and then rolling into spring and summer, we typically see a significant decrease in cases. Um, most of those cases then come from travel, which of course, um, and then, you know, those uh, we're, you see a shift in the exposure type, which is pretty interesting. So we move from community exposure, social exposure to travel exposure. Um, and that that's just totally natural. But when we get to go outside and be, except it is gorgeously warm for better or for worse. But when we get to start spending time outside again together, that's when we see a decrease in transmission. So, I, you know, with the Omicron surge occurring right now, I am hopeful for spring and summer that we're not going to see another mutation come through and that we'll be able to have a kind of return to normal summer that we saw this past summer. So easing year by year, hopefully. Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. Is there any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Yes, absolutely. So I do want to touch on two more points, testing and vaccination. Um, Our testing clinics will be changing again for the month of February as we're seeing a slow decline, hopefully. Um, In case incidents, our testing schedule will shift a bit, but please do look online on our testing page of the COVID website for that testing schedule. It will always be the most up-to-date there. Right now we have um, testing opportunities Sunday through Friday. Saturday is our only day that we do not. That will shift. We'll have a couple holes in that schedule come February. Um, And then vaccines, the CDPHE vaccine bus is coming back to Telluride and Mountain Village this Saturday and Sunday. You can go to our vaccine page of our COVID website at bit.ly forward slash SMC vaccine for English and it's forward slash SMC vacuna for Spanish. Um, So that'll be happening this weekend. They'll have Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson and flu vaccines. You can get your flu shot on the same day as any of your doses of your COVID vaccine. They'll have pediatric and booster Um, doses as well for anybody interested. Um, If you find there isn't a registration time online, please don't hesitate to just head straight to the bus. They'll take you as a walk-up. Perfect. There you go. All that information. Um, Lindsay Mills, public information consultant for San Miguel County. Thank you for being here. Coto listeners, thank you for tuning in. Coming up at 1 p.m., we have Sista Seaweed. 3 p.m., it's New Orleans Road Trip with Lou Guru. And then 5 p.m., it's All Things Considered. Thanks for tuning in. We will be back next week with more COVID updates, always. (laughs) Thank you.